And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1927. That was the day that the holiday... Hey, this is Aaron Moran from A Girl Called Eddie, and you're listening to 90.7 FM, WGXC, Acre. Do you enjoy the arts, have an interest in art classes, and meeting your local creative community? Then join us at the Athens Cultural Center on the first Friday of each month from 5 to 7 p.m. View our latest exhibition over free nibbles and drinks hosted by our ACC board members, and get to know us. We are at 24 Second Street in Athens and online at AthensCulturalCenter.org. We look forward to meeting you. WGXC underwriting support is provided in part by Upstate Films, where membership provides access to world-class cinema, first-run feature films, art house films, live music, and more. Plus, Advance notice of close-up conversations with directors and actors and other special events at the Star Theater in Rhinebeck, the Orpheum in Socrates, and traveling around the Hudson Valley. Information at upstatefilms.org slash support. That's upstatefilms.org. WGXC is made possible in part by the generous ongoing support of Randall and Bernadette Martin of Hudson, New York. WGXC's sustaining supporters are among the station's most dedicated listeners. They care deeply about Creative Community Radio, and their investment helps to sustain WGXC as a public platform for information, experimentation, and engagement in Greene and Columbia counties. You, too, can become a sustaining supporter by going to wgxc.org slash donate. Thank you for your support. Welcome, Welcome to Dim the Lights with Jenny and Amanda. Um, usually our opening THX sound was a little bit longer, so <laughs> surprise, surprise to us. Something's gone wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, Don't my think name, about it. <laughs> my name is Amanda. I'm Jenny. And we are a twice a month movie talk show here on WGXC. We are every second and fourth Tuesday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. And happy to be here. So happy to be here, baby. Every episode, we pick a theme and watch movies separately around that theme, and then we get on the air ways to talk about those movies but before we get into our theme for the night we're going to tell you about what's playing in the theaters around the area jenny you want to take it away oh i would love to i'm gonna start by telling you about what's playing over at the crandall theater in chatham we have anatomy of a fall a movie that i hear is great i don't know anything about it but people really like it Mm. we also have killers of the flower moon which i can also say is excellent madagascar Common Ground, The Polar Express, Gremlins, Priscilla, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, Nutcracker, The Motion Picture, Elf, The Grinch, High Noon's Hidden Backstory, and uh, a couple of other things coming soon uh, under their fall calendar. So if you would like to know more about these specific showtimes, you can head on over to CrandallTheater.org. Gorgeous. I'm going to tell you about what's playing at the Wyndham Theater in Wyndham, New York, which is also a Carvel and Subway and laundromat (laughs) and arcade and Airbnb. And they also say that they have um, lobster bakes on Memorial Day weekend (laughs) in 2024. (laughs) Um, We have playing The Hunger Games, The Ballad (gasps) of Songbirds and Snakes. Did not know there was another one. Maybe it's a prequel. Wow. Okay. All right. Interesting. It has a very stacked cast. 
Um, we have Trolls Band Together, Ooh. another one for the Trolls franchise. Kids love it. Um, and then we have The Marvels, which looks like another Marvel movie with Captain Marvel in it. So you can find out more about those movies and the showtimes at WyndhamTheater.com. That's W-I-N-D-H-A-M Theater.com. Alrighty, and now I'm going to tell you about what's playing at the Upstate fil uh, Films locations, starting with the Star Cinema, which is the location in Rhinebeck. We have The Lobster and The Favorite as a quick little preview of Yorgos Lanthimos before his new movie comes out. Uh, we also have The Holdovers, May, December, Anatomy of a Fall, Stop Making Sense is still there, and Savvy with a post-screening discussion. And then heading on over to the Orpheum Theater, which is the location in Socrates, we have In the Court of the Crimson King, Priscilla, Anatomy of a Fall, Personal Vision, An Evening with Adger Cohen's, Buchan Gase with live performance by Aaron Dyer. Oh. <laughs> Stop Making Sense, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Napoleon. And you can find out more about all of these different little showtimes uh, by heading on over to upstatefilms.org. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, that info. My pleasure. Um, I'm going to tell you about what's playing at the newly opened Madison Theater here in Hudson, New York. There is an Albany location, so don't confuse it with that one. Uh, this is taking over the old cinema that's right um, by the Burger King on Fairview Avenue. So we have Five Nights at Freddy's. We have Divinity starring um, my crush, Steven Dorff. It oh. doesn't look that good, though. Oh, I am. Bummer. It looks like very indie in a way that I don't <laughs> like. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Divinity. The Marsh King's Daughter. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. The Marvels. And that's it. So head on over to Hudson.TheMadisonTheater.com for more information. All right. And now I'm going to tell you about what's playing at TSL, the little theater in Hudson. Uh, and they always have a lot of different things going on. So I'm just going to tell you about what's playing this weekend. We have Klimt and the Kiss, Anatomy of a Fall, Once Within a Lifetime, Touch of Evil, Chimes at Midnight, and uh, the last screening of Stop Making Sense. Oh, uh, They're also, they often do the Met Opera. So if you're interested in that, uh, the one this week is Malcolm X. Uh, and you can find out more information about these showtimes and ticket prices at timeandspace.org. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Jenny. Mm, my pleasure. Last but not least, I have the Spotlight Cinema or the Spotlight Theater rather in Hudson, New York. Uh, we have the Marvels, the Marsh King's Daughter. What Happens Later, Five Nights at Freddy's, and Killers of the Flower Moon. You can find out more about showtimes at thespotlighttheaters.com and select the Hudson location. Wow. Um, all right. Well, I know you saw right now. Killers of the Flower Moon. I did. My yeah. review is five stars. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I hear from everybody. I got to see it. No notes. Um, haven't heard for somebody who hosts a movie talk show. I've not heard about a lot of these new movies. I was going to say the Marsh King's daughter. Don't know her. Don't know her, but it stars Ben Mendelsohn. Who oh, I, love. I also love Ben Mendelsohn. 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 <laughs> um, never heard about what happens later, but it looks like it's a fresh new Meg Ryan rom. -com, oh my God. She's back. Sweet. That yeah. is pretty sweet. I know. I haven't heard of that one either. It turns out there's actually a lot of movies out right now. Wow. Maybe I should get in the theater. It's time. It's time. It's time to go to the theater. <laughs> um, so tonight is a little bit different for our theme because it's not a genre theme. We're watching movies that are by the esteemed late director, William Friedkin. Go off, King. <laughs> Um, I just you Googled. turned to me as though I should say something. And, and Jenny. And I panicked. Um, <laughs> just panicked. Um, <laughs> go off, legend. Um, so uh, I didn't do what I should have done, which is look up more about his life. I did like a very small amount of research, which is skimming his Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I can tell you who's an American filmmaker. Yep. He uh, was grew up in Chicago and like definitely grew up kind of poor and then got into like films when he was like in his 20s just from like watching movies. 
um, which is, you know, a great way to get into movies. Great frankly. way to get into movies. Uh, but yeah, it was. I, I listened to a couple of interviews with him, and he sounds like a he sounds like a guy who. It makes a lot of sense that he makes the movies that he makes because he seems like a guy who really doesn't care what people think about him. Yeah. In this like really incredible way. Like a guy who's very much like, I'm just going to make my little movie the way I want to make my little movie. And you can take whatever the heck you want from it. Yeah. It doesn't really matter to me what you think. I love it. I <laughs> it's love pretty it. pretty beautiful. I know the, I did listen to um, an interview with uh, a guy who did a lot of the editing i want to say mm -hmm. and some of his movies um who is the son of somebody who friedkin worked for before but cool. this guy was like yeah like he really made his movies in the editing room like he yeah totally like as a director like during filming was like pretty intense mm -hmm. and like but like was very calm in the editing room and that's where his like he really did his his work yeah and, like, totally it seems like during filming it was very like not necessarily chaotic but like actors would expect to have more takes and he'd be like no that's good let's move yeah on. <laughs> yeah i did i listened to this great interview that wish i could remember who conducted it but i can't it was like before a screening of killer joe which is one of his movies that came out I in the 2000s i've never seen it that's great. um but he was talking about um how, like <laughs> when he first started making movies he thought that uh you had to do like you know 30 to 40 takes to get something good and then as he got older he was like actually usually the first one or two get like the spontaneity and also films very expensive yeah, so exactly. like, you know yeah. we're just gonna do like two takes and call it a day yeah um, yep. but for those of you who might not be familiar with the name William Friedkin some of his big movies are The Exorcist, yeah, uh, The French Connection. I would say those are probably like the two big which, names, yeah, which are both movies that he won Oscars for. The French Connection was his, like one of not his first movie, but in, a very early movie for him, and he won a uh, Best Picture, I believe, and also maybe Best Director. Damn, he's got like it was nominated for a ton of Oscars. Um, some other big names, which you may have heard us talk about, we both watched Sorcerer this year for the first time. <laughs> Um, which is just an incredible movie. So good. He describes it as, as his best movie, and I would strongly agree. It's, I would, I mean, too. of the ones that I've seen, like, it's so good. And it's, so I'm seeing now that it's the movie that he made right after The Exorcist. Yeah. The Exorcist is 73, and Sorcerer is 77. And the vibe I get is that uh, the Sorcerer was not a critical success. It was a flop. Yeah, yeah it was People a flop. People did not like it. So I think it's like, you know, he had the the money and the notoriety from the exorcist and people were disappointed in the sorcerer which like i it's amazing but i guess if you were a regular average moviegoer and you'd just seen the exorcist you were maybe expecting something specific and yeah but it's god it's so I good i don't really understand i haven't like dug into what the like the consensus was after sorcerer came out and why people didn't find it interesting or captivating because it's so like I don't know. It, it is. It's one of those movies that feels really timeless to me. So I'm like, what about this didn't resonate with people at the time? Especially yeah. like I did. I listened to only like a little fraction of an interview with Mark Maron because he does the interview podcast. I, and know. I just, I don't, I know. know it's embarrassing, but like he does get some good people on that show. He, he lets people talk and I think that's good. But I, it was a, an interview from 2016 and I will say the introduction is, incredibly irritating but as soon as William Friedkin starts talking it gets more interesting yeah. and he just talks about how um you know he was like people didn't respond to it at the time but it found its audience much later because the world has changed so much and yeah he's, and he definitely seemed like a person who was actually incredibly fine with like the world changing and he's like you know people are different now the culture's different the world's different and like that's fine it I is what it is love an old man who's cool with the changing yeah, times. Dude, it's, it's really special <laughs> and you know what that actually did, like i'll get into the two movies that i watched that i'll talk about tonight but like one of which really seems like it um it found a fresh, like so many movies do, yeah. like it found a fresh appreciation as it aged. Yeah, and when absolutely. In the time, it was like very contentious. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, I, I forget too that like he got his start in documentaries mm. and the, his other big movie before we get French Connection and Exorcist is The Thin Blue Line. Oh yeah, which, which I've, I've never, never seen. seen. Yeah, totally. Um, but that is 1966. So that's got to be probably like, 
that's pretty early yeah. yeah um yeah that's before any of his um narrative movies friedkin friedkin but yeah all right we uh we decided to do this episode we talked about it a couple months ago right around the time that he passed away because we were like is it time to Friedkin freak out <laughs> is it time to freak <laughs> on Friedkin to freak on the Friedkin fest it's time for the Friedkin fest we have been we've been holding on to this episode for a while things got in the way and well also Halloween we wanted yeah. to focus on just horror of movies course. um but we planned this episode far closer to when he passed away in early September was I think it? it was August but the yeah. the thing that's actually almost timing is better somehow is that um he has a new movie that just came out that he finished right before he passed away oh wow um, it came oh, out yeah. at the beginning of october and i was gonna watch it last night but i didn't um, it's called the kane mutiny more court martial which wow. is a Keep real Sutherland <laughs> back in the game yeah it's like a courtroom drama and it's it's so far it's been critically acclaimed don't know Damn. a thing about it uh, wow. i thought about watching it but anyway that is like it feels you know, in that way, we are time time wise relevant. I would say, and that'll be the epilogue to this yeah. show, as we can watch his his freshest one, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, <laughs> a true mouthful. Like every time I try to remember what it's called, I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, I, I'd actually. So, like the two movies before that that he made before that, Bug and Killer Joe, Bug from 2006 and Killer Joe from 2011. I other than The Exorcist, those are the only movies yeah. of Friedkin's that I'd seen. Totally. Um, right after he passed away, I did rewatch The Exorcist for the first time, and it's still so great. It's it makes so, so much sense why it freaked so many people out. Like some of the effects feel so um, so early. Not only like the way that they're pulled off, but like how jarring they are mm -hmm. like very specifically thinking about the crawling down the stairs backwards yeah Ooh. um which is something of course now if you watch horror movies you're very very used to seeing right everybody's popping from that that's so early and and, it, and it's like still so the timing of that moment mm -hmm. is so scary like it's truly like an like the jump scare of it holds up yeah so solidly i will say <laughs> my funny gripe with the exorcist is that the actual exorcism is like a pretty boring scene. it is yeah totally. it's, so it's the rest weird. of it that's so it's much like, more interesting yeah like i'm like why why is this part boring right you guys right and it is it's wild because the the characters are so compelling and like the whole opening scene is like so much more interesting and that's the part that i'd completely forgotten about till i also rewatched it like yeah. a couple years ago and it's such a like i think one of his things is obviously like uh suspense yeah but i also think he's really good at depicting like the interiority of these people in this yes. way which is partially why this is the suspense works so well is because you genuinely start to care about them yeah because i mean like plenty of movies have like suspense and terror and whatever but like there is something about the like humanity that he brings to the characters which is i would say like singular in this way absolutely and like partially why the exorcist works so much is because you're like you get really invested in everybody like including the priests and reagan and everyone and so it's just like it's so much more interesting that way absolutely and i know we've talked about this so many times on this show but like in a world specifically of horror movies now where everything is about the character's trauma. trauma like he's able to give a lot of context to a character without dwelling on it too long or or giving those details like too obvious right and like, he trusts his audience to be adults which is like oh god like, thank god i <laughs> wish ugh, i wish they still treated me like Trust i wasn't me to a be dummy a smart and it's like listen i am a dummy but yeah. like i'm not like, I, also, I like, love movies. I can so figure it out. I can it's figure fine. it out. Give me a chance. Give me a shot. Ugh. Give me a shot. Um, yeah. So, Jenny, do you want to tell me first about a movie that you I watched? I would love to. I'm going to start with the movie that I think we both watched. <gasps> Which is the movie from 1980, Cruising. Yes. Yes. I did watch yeah, Cruising. Yeah, I was like, I heard that you watched Cruising. I'm so, so glad because <laughs> I want to talk to you about it. I thought you might. I'm, I'm dying to know what you think about it because... Okay, it's complicated. It's complicated. It com so I feel complicated is, about it too. Just yeah, to be clear, I know. Yeah. I figured you would. Yeah. Like that is the the aforementioned movie that I said where, like, in its time when it was made, it was very contentious, and now it's kind of grown. And okay, let me back let's up. Talk, and let's say. talk about cruising. 
So cruising stars Al Pacino and a, like a lot of um, or Karen Allen and uh, who's the guy that plays his boss? His Anyways, partner. Yeah. Um, I guess he's his boss, really. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Sorvino yeah. from um, Goodfellas. So uh, Al Pacino plays a young detective in New York City named um, Steve Burns, who is sent. It, so body parts keep turning up in the Hudson River of men and it in seem, New York City. In New York City, and it seems that there is a killer on the loose who's specifically targeting gay men, who are even more specifically a part of the S and M and leather scene. So Paul Servino's character is a detective. Um, sends in the very young detective, um, Steve Burns, undercover because he his look and body type is similar to those kinds of men who are who are getting killed. So he wants to use him as a lure for this killer. Um, and Burns gets really like uh, he has he has a really difficult time with this case because like the world is is obviously very foreign to him and very intense and he um it's this movie is tough because it's not that great it's like some movies that have vagueness it works to a good effect mm. and this one is kind of like what do you tr it's really dreamy what are you trying to set like yeah are you trying to make a point at all because i it feels like you're you like you are but ultimately it can be read a lot of different ways. Which is and kind of fun. It's, yeah, in, in its own way. But it way, feels accidental. I think in some ways it is, and in other ways... Yeah, I mean, it definitely... It's hard to say. In some ways it definitely is, and then in other ways it does feel like the vibe of the movie... It it, it has, like, kind of a slasher vibe, but it also mm. has this, like, very dreamlike quality to it while being in this like very gritty scene which yeah. is like a very hard thing to combine and it, <clears throat> like it seems very clear to me that he struggled to combine those two things yes um because so, so some of the things that make it confusing are that we never really find out who the serial killer is no. and in fact there may be multiple serial killers and that's kind of the point exactly like it seems like who the killer is kind of gets transferred from person to person yeah. because they're like seemingly possessed by like an element of this scene or like or like or just like it it has this like weird transference yeah where, like in the end we're left to wonder if al pacino's character burns ha is also the killer right has also begun to because he got murders. in so deep that like like he yeah. like he has adopted the clothing of the killer. Right. Oh God. It's, oh, that scene is great though. Yeah. Like it's so it's crazy. It's so good. Ugh. That's the thing about this movie is like, so in its time when it was made, it had, it was very, very, very protested by the gay community yeah. in New York city for very obvious and understandable reasons because they knew like, this is very, not, not very long after Stonewall. They mm -hmm. knew that this movie was not going to do their community any favors. Right. It's not, it's, it's very much, um, it's a movie that feels like it belongs in the now. <laughs> yes. When in fact it was made in 1980, which feels like really crazy when you're watching it because yeah. it has incredibly explicit. It's very graphic. It's very graphic. It's like, um, there are a lot of scenes in these S and M clubs where it's just hundreds of naked butts as far as the eye there's can see there's a fisting scene yeah there's, there's like or like public oral sex happening there's yeah. a lot which like yeah i appreciate in a lot of ways and apparently like so friedkin it was originally rated x and friedkin had to cut out 40 minutes of footage which he has said people used to like often wonder yeah. what that 40 minutes contained like if it made the plot any clearer right According to Friedkin, it doesn't. Yeah. It's actually just more graphic, right. <laughs> like pornogra I mean, pornographic that, scenes, basically. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing with this movie, so, like, we follow Al Pacino's character as he's, like, getting more and more kind of, like, sucked into this world. And it's clear, like, something that's really interesting about it is that he's clearly, like, captivated by it and, mm. like, a repulsed in it, repulsed by it in his own way, but also is, like, actually fairly 
accepting of the scene and like definitely has that like chameleon quality of an undercover cop where like he befriends his neighbor who's like another gay man and yeah. like it's very casual and, and they like clearly have like a nice friend right, like, like a, genuinely a genuine friendship yeah totally and then like he gets into the scene and like actually like meets guys at the club and like dances and like does drugs and like gets into it yeah but then like goes home and has sex with his girlfriend and <laughs> is clearly like struggling with this weird like undercurrent of desire yeah we're again as the audience we're made to ask and we don't really get any answers whether or not like before he got into this undercover operation like what was he um queer and like right and hiding it or like not sure of it or like like early on there's a scene where he says to karen allen his girlfriend like there are a lot of things you don't know about me yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she's like uh will you be this do you how do you know you'll be the same person when you're done with it you know so there's definitely like heavy suggestions that like even in the end you kind of get the vibe that like he might still involve himself in this scene even right. after this job is over. Like he's, he's very much adopted the look and like comes home to Karen Allen, his girlfriend still in like the leather. Yeah, and, like, totally. With the cuffs on the cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, but like, and there, there is a scene too where like they, uh, at one point they pull a sting operation on who they think might be the killer um and in the police interrogation this guy is incredibly abused by the police and afterwards al pacino burns says to his paul sorvino his boss he's like i didn't want to get into this to just like beat up on gay people you know so there's he's like i don't think i can do this anymore it's like you destroyed that kid's life yeah exactly so like that's kind of a cool thing to i mean obviously not that scene but like seeing the scene after seeing that opinion expressed in this movie at this time is interesting. I mean, I do think like it's, there's something that I've noticed about, I haven't seen all of Friedkin's movies, obviously, but the ones that I have seen, like he tends to depict like racism and homophobia, but certainly not endorse it. Like it's, especially in this movie and in the French connection, which I didn't watch for this. So like, I don't, I'm not going to talk about it that much. I watched (laughs) it a couple months ago, but like he has these characters who, you know are have this you know this darkness to them which Mm -hmm. is like uh (laughs) uh prejudice Mm -hmm. and it's like clearly wrong like it's clearly not correct and like in this like cruising is very anti-cop but it has kind of because you're following a police officer as your main character there's obviously like a little bit of messiness there where like you do kind of like you definitely care about al pacino and yeah kind of like are a little bit sympathetic to his boss but it's still like because you also want this killer to be caught right too because the the we the first one of the first scenes we see is one of the murders happened and it's so brutal right and it is it's really intense but there that is a thing that i actually really like about this movie the more i think about it when i was first watching it i wasn't sure how i felt and i was kind of like oh like this is like the politics of it are pretty thorny but from as like a film and like a piece of I don't know, like an artifact from 1980 of this like interesting scene. And like, honestly, it reminds me of De Palma in this way where I'm yeah. like, it's, what it's depicting is very yucky. Yeah. <laughs> but the way that it's depicting it is really interesting. And I appreciate the like nuance given to this thing, which can have a lot of nuance to it, actually. Yeah. Like, I, do, I don't know. I think I agree that a lot of the choices that Friedkin makes in this movie are really messy and could be cleaner but i but also not thoughtless I, yeah it definitely feels like like so uh, one of the things that makes it very confusing in terms of like who the killer is and what he's trying to say is that uh early on we see what like quote unquote the serial killer like murder a guy and then we see another guy get murdered later and it's the same two actors but they've swapped roles so one is being murdered and one is murdering that's what i thought and it's and they did that on purpose two white dudes that look the same yeah that's and that's when i first when i watched when i was watching it too i was like wait a second was that the same guy because he's like 
they're both they both kind of look like Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> and then like later you see them again and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. That's what I mean by and this like, strange, like almost not intentionally, of course, but almost supernatural like transference. Right. But he did. But he did do it on purpose where he had them swap yeah. roles. So it is. Well, like I this, meant like not purposefully right, supernatural. Like this is not a, a possession. Story. That's, no, it's not. But it is. Um, it's like it's this interesting vibe of like, yeah, like anybody could be committing this crime and like although the cops are paying attention like very early on you get the scene where the coroner is like berating the cop because he's like you don't even care like you would you wouldn't yeah. commit you wouldn't um uh what's the word i'm looking for like uh whatever um like, like book somebody unless you had them like sitting in your office signing a confession exactly and it's like they're only investigating this because they have to not because they actually care about the community yeah and so there is that like very interesting like okay the cops aren't investigating this as much as they could be they're just kind of like throwing al pacino at the problem yep. and then like he's also causing harm by being a part of this community maybe like yeah. that's maybe what like the end is uh, implying it's I don't know it has this like very interesting thorniness of like definitely anti-cop but the rest of it is confusing that's the thing it's like so I think that ultimately cruising is not a great movie yeah but it has like nice meat to it yeah you know <laughs> yeah. I know it it's got a lot of meat it's got a lot of meat <laughs> um like there's a lot to chew on yeah, there it does, you know yeah. uh, I've been thinking about it a lot since I, I watched it well I had the pretty much the the same path as you where after it was over I was like <laughs> uh, I don't know yeah. and now feels, that I've been thinking bad. about it you know and it does also feel like a movie that as time has passed it's been reclaimed by the mm -hmm. queer community yeah because it is um, also like he I mean to hear him <clears throat> say it which like you know who knows if he's telling the truth or not he just went into S&M clubs and like shot it you yeah know? he did which um, is like pretty sick he, <laughs> he so at the time a lot of those clubs were owned by the mafia yeah totally so he got a bunch of mafia connects Incredible. and was like can i film in these places he used a lot of extras he asked for like extras of people who visit those yeah. places normally um i learned too that like he they had to dub over pretty much all of the sound that because of all the protests because <laughs> yeah one of the ways you protest a movie being filmed that you feel shouldn't be is you go where they're shooting and make a ton of noise. Yeah. So they have to throw out the audio. Totally. Um, and that is what happened. And so, like, obviously it makes so much sense why it was... Protested. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, what was I going to say, too? Uh, oh, yeah. And he also... Friedkin spoke to, like, he screened it for a gay journalist from mm. the Village Voice. Yeah. Because he was obviously like, am I doing a wrong thing <laughs> Is this okay? Here? <laughs> am and I good? <laughs> I forget what the actual opinion of the journalist was, but he was like, you should add this disclaimer before mm. the movie, which I did not see in the version I watched because I, I think like as it's been re-released the disclaimer has been taken out but i guess when it was first screened it had a disclaimer that to paraphrase was basically like this movie depicts a very specific subculture within the gay community this is not a depiction of the gay community yeah. as a whole right totally which is i appreciate yeah totally you know, like early trigger warning <laughs> yeah and again it's like i'm sure a lot of average moviegoers then like that didn't matter right i'm sure they were still like oh the gays yeah. <laughs> but like well, that's, that's i think something that's really frustrating about that i mean it makes all so much sense that it was protested at the time because there wasn't very much like quote-unquote queer content yeah <laughs> like exactly. there were very few like gay movies especially like movies that depicted like out gay activity like men kissing men having sex like yeah. very few and what was was a lot of it was like international yeah and so i can understand being like okay we get one every like decade and, and this, this is one, one that's like about, about serial murder killers. and like yeah. the and scenes like, of the gay community in it are mostly like very intense and yeah, graphic and sexual it's very i mean it's hookup culture because it's it's cruising exactly it's like and like further <laughs> perpetuating the idea totally. of like gay men like be just being about like yeah just sex yeah like, having you, sex in alleyways yeah and like in contrast all the scenes of al pacino and karen allen like bef in the beginning of the movie especially like all their love making mm -hmm. scenes are like very sweet and gentle and there's like this nice score yeah. in the background and like 
really. <laughs> Although I will also say there's a scene very early and it's right before a murder. So like, mm, but there's like a shot specifically of the like the serial killer and the guy he's about to murder are hooking up and it's just a shot of the two of them it's like they're just their feet Mm. and like they're both wearing boots like standing next to a bed and it's like a really sweet and like tender shot actually like i found before he kills him i was like this is actually very like i was really surprised actually by how tender and not tawdry that was like i was like it's actually very gentle and like pretty romantic and like that's something that as viewers now we'd pick up right, on that I we think can but see. again it's like the av- like a lot of the average uh straight yeah moviegoer then no contextually I, like <laughs> it matters think, that he's yeah, about to die exactly yeah. <laughs> um the other thing i just want to say yeah. my, the other thing i just have to say about this movie before we move on yeah is that the night scenes are so beautiful the like <sighs> verdant green like there are a bunch of scenes where al pacino goes to the park where people like go to hook up and it's just so beautifully lit and the green in the park is like so vibrant it's so and good. the light is so gentle on everything i was just like my breath was taken away that man billy friedkin billy friedkin knows how to work a street light yes king I'm he talking really does just like the that famous shot, shot of the exorcist. exorcist he is very good at light and shadow yeah um, um oh so yeah like the the new york cityscape in this movie is so pleasurable it's, yeah it's beautiful to, to look see. at yeah. um and i guess like so to like kind of wrap up the plot right um right after burns is like listen boss i can't do this anymore uh paul servino is like all right well we have a new angle one of the victims was a professor and here's a list of students oh, right. that were um in his in his class Will you like compare them to people that maybe you've seen around? And sure enough, one of them is a guy that Burns has seen in a lot of clubs. So he starts um, basically stalking him. Oh my god, <laughs> and it's so crazy! That whole that whole it's segment so is wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this guy whose character I can't remember his name. It turns out he is uh, schizophrenic, and or as as is described in the movie um and he uh his fingerprints match fingerprints found at another murder and so it culminates in burns and this guy after like he burns makes it known to this killer that he's being watched by him and the killer just thinks that he's cruising um and they meet up in the park and in this like kind of very strange scene where uh they're both wearing exactly the same outfit they're wearing this exact same outfit and you know so again like uh al pacino is like making it look like it's a hookup and or like that's how he's setting it up and then kind of like makes a violent move toward this guy who then pulls out the knife and tries to stab him but burns al pacino gets him first so it's this weird kind of like like the of course the professionalism of his job (laughs) is just like deteriorating like he breaks into the guy's apartment to find out that he's like has a box of letters written to like his dead father um who that described the murders and uh he yeah like yeah just corners him into this situation and it's um it's a very weird scene (laughs) it's really weird there's so before it's the the like violent confrontation is like very startling and really interesting but right before that like they they walk to the same bench basically in the park the killer whose name is Stuart takes yes they're wearing exactly the same outfit yeah which is like blue jeans like a a black tank top with like a blue shirt tucked in over it and a black leather jacket over it. He Stuart has also like a leather cop hat. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, the kind. Yeah. And he takes it off and puts it on the bench and then Al Pacino's character picks it, picks it up and puts it on. Yeah. And it's like, it's that, I didn't even like think about that as being like a transference. Maybe of, the hat's cursed. Maybe the, maybe it's actually a movie about a cursed hat. Maybe it's it just a movie about a cursed hat. Yeah. But it's just like this weird, like it just, the like doubling of that is so interesting because Al Pacino has become so like deeply involved in the scene that they look exactly the same. Yeah. And then they have, yeah, this moment where it's like almost an intimate moment 
but instead Al Pacino stabs him and it's just like it happens so fast yeah. and it's so it's it's also like lit very beautifully it's, it's like great. it has that really interesting like tender violence thing yep. you know i just this i mean honestly the, the more we're talking about this movie i'm like maybe cruising is great actually. i know exactly <laughs> I'm, it's really growing on me which is but, kind of an interesting thing about it because right? it is when you watch it you're like what so is happening they arrest stewart and it, yes like i said they find that his fingerprints match um finger bloody bloody fingerprints found at a crime scene and so he is indeed at least the killer yes. in that specific or, murder. Yeah. He certainly killed a couple of people. But while Stuart is in custody, um, Burns' neighbor and friend, Ted, Teddy? Ted. Yeah, Teddy is stabbed to death. Oh, um, so sad. I love Ted. I, I know, me too. And again, like, it's another thing where we're, it's like intentionally vague because there's an earlier confrontation between Burns and ted's kind of overbearing boyfriend um and like they're you know they're they're kind of quarreling over ted right um and so it's like oh was it a lover's quarrel or did burns do murder ted to kind of like tie up the last end of like his before he goes back to his life with karen allen like tie up this last it's very yeah it's also like when I was wa- oh sorry when I was watching it I didn't like that wasn't my my first instinct was like when when Ted shows up dead I was like who but who killed him like it did not I, it didn't even occur to me that it was Al Pacino until like I was reading about it afterward and yeah. like th- I mean that is a really reasonable interpretation of it because he is like totally he's become really involved in the scene and it feels like it's like yeah maybe a thing that I read that was really interesting was that like not necessarily that he did it but his actions like him having this argument with Ted's partner is what caused the partner to kill Ted and so it's like it's the repercussions of the police involvement yeah like the next like the next level of that although it's not tech it, although he did not technically murder him like it's still his fault like yeah from that interpretation. By and so it's this it's just like this really interesting like you know when you when you get involved in something you don't understand and are not a part of like what are the marks that you leave behind exactly like, what have you done? when you're a tourist yeah. basically yeah, totally um and yeah like but we're also it's like we, he clearly loses right quote unquote himself or like the himself that he was before this job in this job totally um he becomes also as he's like getting further into the scene like he gets to kind of like blend into the scene but also just like he gets more masculine yeah really. totally. like oh, he God, starts yeah. like working out and like he gets more hot-headed yeah and for like, sure because with ted when they hang out and also just earlier in the movie like he's very a, a very quiet yeah. reserved guy but he gets like really intense and kind of violent and hot-headed right like he fights ted's like boyfriend yeah which is like not what he would have done at yeah. the beginning of the and movie and the scene with Stuart. yeah where he, oh yeah, yeah totally it's like, yeah it's a fascinating it's, it's movie. a fascinating movie but that's cruising <laughs> um i also just want to really quick bring yeah up, dude um the part in the movie so really early on in the movie there's actually another actor in this movie that i love joe spinell who plays I, the crooked cop yes he's from i know him from the movie maniac which yeah, i love totally. um so really early on in the movie and again another Another scene that's very clearly like this is an anti-cop movie, which we stand, we love. We stand. Um, uh, Joe Spinell's character is a cop, as a cop, and he and his partner um, pick up some trans sex workers and force them into a sexual situation. Yeah. And um, oh, where was I going with that? It's I just lost my train. Of I don't thought. know if this is what you're. Oh, th- oh, oh, when. Um, one of the trans women, which I'm assuming they're trans yeah, at this like point kind of the, in the movie, yeah. it's, I, you know, mm-hmm. like when it was made, I'm not sure, but, um, one of them works with Paul Sorvino's character, like as an informant and goes to him and is like, Hey, like to give him information mm-hmm. about the murders, but is also like, you know, I need you to do something for me. Like I keep, you know, getting molested by this cop. Yeah, totally. Like, <clears throat> can you do something about it? And of course, Paul Sorvino's like, get out of here. Um. Yeah. Oh my 
God, I keep losing my train of thought. We got that. Dude. We got that like oh, gentle jazz. And in the he's background. like, he's like, yeah, exactly. The brass band's playing next door. Paul Sorvino is like, do you know how many people in the city are uh, like cop impersonators? Yeah, like, totally. I, like you like get I me a badge number and I'll do something about it. And then later in the movie, there is an incredible scene <laughs> when uh, Al Pacino is out at another club called the Precinct. <laughs> Or it's like precinct night. Yeah, or it's precinct something. night. Yeah, it's, it's precinct, precinct night. night. <laughs> and everybody is dressed up as a cop and like very realistically yeah. so. Like and he a gets lot kicked out because he's not dressed up like a cop. They're so, like, you're in the wrong place, man. It's such a good, <laughs> like, funny yeah. callback to totally. like that detail, that, that said detail earlier. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, and like that, that scene where the two women are picked up by this maybe real, maybe not cops. I think they're, like, they're real. Imp- they're real they're cops, definitely real cops. But, um, um, yeah. At the very beginning, it's like the second scene in the movie. Like it very oh. much sets you up. It's like for, we we open <clears throat> with finding a disembodied arm, a dismembered arm in the Hudson and the coroner being like, come on, like, what are you going to do about this? Yeah. And then the second scene is, is like, these cops, is these doing cops this. Yeah, picking up these women. And it's like, it's so I, I do like, I feel like, you know, the message, like the, the message isn't always clear, but I do think that like the vibe is like yeah. this place is dark and cops are not helping anybody they're really bad yeah and it is i do yeah honestly i'm like the more we talk about it i'm like damn maybe, maybe cruising, maybe cruising good, though. is good <laughs> it's definitely messy i'm not gonna lie to you i felt i was uh, talking about it at work earlier when you weren't there and i was like how do i describe this uh, to other people <laughs> i know it's so that movie is freaking weird it's wild it's a really wild that's a, it's a weird movie yeah but i love it yeah um all right yo the other movie i watched Tell me. which because i was still in this like ugh, cruising's not very good this was a great refresher because this movie is so fun yes. and so good I watched 1985's To Live and Die in L.A. I knew you were going to. I just had a feeling. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, dude. That I, movie is so fun. Oh, my God. I didn't watch it. I thought about it, but okay. I didn't do it. So um, I saved it because for a night when I wanted to be up a little later because it's, it's just about two hours yeah. long. But it stars a very young, beautiful Willem Dafoe who is a it's and it's a where Cruisin' is a New York City movie. To Live and Die in L.A. is very much an L.A. movie, and it knows it. It's all about, like, the opening credits is just a montage of the city and, like, you know, fun details. Yeah, it's, the soundtrack is by Wang Chung. Oh, yes. Um, The fonts are amazing. So Willem Dafoe plays Rick Masters, who is a master counterfeiter, Um, and... Uh, this is also another like perfect, just like Reagan era yeah. LA movie, totally. which is why it made me think of Repo Man. Yes. Like it's so <laughs> such a perfect double bill. But um, so Rick Masters is an amazing counterfeiter. He's he is an also an artist. One of the first scenes we see of him is him burning one of his paintings, um, which is a thing he does. You know, it's always burning his paintings. <laughs> He's like a very like cool, collected, classy criminal. Um, and the cat to his mouse is, um, detective Richard Chance, who's played by William Peterson. Oh yeah. And early in the movie, uh, Chance's partner is killed. His his partner is an older guy who's like a couple weeks from retirement or something. Classic. And he goes after masters, tries to ambush him and gets killed. And so Chance is out for revenge and like very simply put, it's like this revenge story, but chance spirals out of control where it really like the justice goes out the window and it's just like he's got to get his man. Um, you know, at one point he they try to he and his new partner. So it's also like chances partners killed and he gets this this new fresh faced partner who's like kind of uh, John Vukovic, um, who is very like kind of like a like a good softy like wants to play by the rules and like doesn't want people to get hurt unnecessarily um and chances like feels like a very classic action movie detective where he's just like a real 
badass yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, I hated his character, but <laughs> I think you're kind of supposed to because yeah. this is another one where it's like, who's a cop and who's a criminal really? Right. For real? <laughs> Classic. Um, so as things unravel and, you know, uh, Chance throws takes chances and throws <laughs> caution to the wind. Classic. <laughs> like they try to pin Rick Masters by um he's posing as guys who are interested in getting a bunch of his counterfeit bills. Mm. And uh but the bureau won't give them the amount of cash that they need to set up this sting. So through a an informant that chance has who is this um woman who i guess she's like as a stripper or something like that but he he, he we see how bad of a guy he is because he's like basically holding her captive for like information and sex and like when she's like what happens if i don't give you any more information he's like yeah i'll just um i'll violate your parole and send you back to the slammer cool. like, <laughs> um so uh they decide because they the bureau won't lend them the money he gets this information from i can't remember her character's name because there's a couple gorgeous women in this movie <laughs> um uh ruth he she's like well i heard about this guy who's coming in with a bunch of money to buy diamonds and so chance convinces his partner to pull off a heist oh to get this money <gasps> yes. to do this sting they accidentally kill this guy who turns out they find out later it was an undercover fbi agent oh that they kidnapped and got it. killed oh my god it's like there's a an un jenny jenny <laughs> there's an unbelievable chase scene and it's oh like any movie where you let gross. me see a car chase in the la river i am down oh, even like i freaking hate grease but like i'll take that <laughs> I'll take car it. chase. it's fine obviously t2 but like um <laughs> Yeah, it's well. There's I. I'm not going to talk about it, but in the French Connection, there's also an incredible car chase that goes like under one of those overpasses, <coughs> like you know, in like I don't know, like Third Avenue or whatever, mm -hmm. where it's like all the way, like the entire road runs under a massive bridge. Yeah, and they're just and I was listening to an interview today, and he was like, "We actually really did it." And at the time, I wasn't really thinking about it, but somebody definitely could have gotten killed. Yeah. It was really dangerous for this car chase scene, which I didn't notice, but viewers have especially i'm mm -hmm. sure those who are from la friedkin during this chase scene wanted this like industrial cityscape in the background so he reversed traffic on the highway oh my God. to get the background that yeah, he wanted totally. in the shot what a lunatic um God. that's the thing about william friedkin he's gonna do what it takes yeah the man has a vision he and you vision. can't stand in his way and he will simply just do it <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. to live and die in la was just so fun yeah god i have to watch you it you do i'm so stoked it's too. so fun i almost did last night and then i was like amanda's definitely gonna watch it maybe i should watch something else but i wish that i had i wish you Ugh. had too it's Rats. so good yeah um yeah <sighs> there's Incredible. there's just yeah there it's um i like how many people are involved in this plot yeah, like totally. um Oh my gosh, who's my other fave who's in it? There's like a lawyer who's kind of playing both sides. Dean Stockwell mm -hmm. plays um, a lawyer who represents Rick, a lawyer named Grimes, yes. who represents <laughs> Rick Masters oh and nice. also um, is a friend of Detective Vukovic, who's like, yeah, like gives up information about Masters, but then after they kill the FBI agent, is also like Vukovic. You should probably give up your partner. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, playing all sides. Um, Incredible. Yeah, there's lots of fun, uh, burning stuff and a like a nice like round beginning to end where we're starting in fire and we're ending in fire. Love it. Rick Masters has a hot girlfriend who works at like. She's like a dancer at some like it's not a strip club. It's like a avant garde, like <laughs> kind of like buto esque, but not really yeah. like kabuki feet. Like it's <laughs> Incredible. like um and at toward the end of the movie, it seems like Rick Masters like kind of knows that something's gonna go down. That might be the end of him. And his girlfriend's expressed like having a crush on her other dancer coworker. Mm -hmm. 
And he's like, I have a surprise for you and takes her downstairs and her coworkers there in like lingerie. Oh and my he's God. like, and then at the end, like the, her, like the girlfriend and her new girlfriend get to like drive off. Uh. It's great. So, I it's gotta so watch good. it. Oh my god! And like yes, his dude, oh, yeah, Rick Masters' girlfriend is also like an incredible character. Uh, I think her name's Bianca. Is it Bianca Torres. I think it's Bianca, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's running throughout. Where she's also very cool and sexy and quiet and helps him by like not quite a getaway driver, but kind of just like like gives him the information that he needs like kind of like does the extra errand that he needs on the yeah, side totally. she's just helping him out um and they this is what i mean too like little details in their relationship really reveal that kind of like again like who like the cops are really criminals and this guy this criminal is a criminal but he treats bianca with so much respect yeah. and like they're so their relationship feels so level totally whereas chance our main character who like we're technically supposed to be rooting for is so bad yeah totally and so manipulative um and also like manipulates and corrupts his partner right totally who, at the end of the movie like i don't want to give too much away because i know you're gonna watch it but like as the end at the end of the movie turns out to be have has become like just as corrupt as yeah. chance Ugh. um he tarnishes tarnishes everything he yeah. touches so don't give him a chance it's a to live and die in la is perfect incredible oh i i think it's perfect yeah i gotta watch it dude i love I just, it so billy friedkin much. that dude knows how to make a stressful suspenseful movie that has like also like i don't know i was trying to figure out what the like through line is and again i haven't seen all of them but it feels like this dude loves suspense. This yeah. dude is like great at pacing, kind of <clears throat> like movies that can otherwise be really complicated. Like I think about Sorcerer a lot. How the whole first half is about like getting the band together. Like yeah. it's so, and it could be so boring, but he's so good at like stringing all of these different scenes together to get you to where you need to be. Yeah, and I don't know if that's how To Live and Die in LA is, but like I don't know, just like those really complicated plots, but finding the way to piece them together in this way that's still really compelling yeah i was also trying to find a through line from what i've seen and it's like he's definitely loves to include and and illustrate very complicated relationships that maybe start out as transactional yeah. but then kind of have a deeper thing going on totally. like i'm also thinking of killer joe which is so fun and another another very crooked cop movie totally matthew mcconaughey is a very very (laughs) bad cop um and like kind of like thomas hayden church and emile hirsch are like dum-dums who get involved with this cop and then like can't control him right totally um so yeah i don't know like there's i know that's so vague but there is something about these in like the priests and the exorcists, like these yeah, kind of complicated totally. relationships that start out maybe transactional and somewhat professional. Totally. But then devolve into but something. Their humanity gets in the way right. or enhances the bond of that right. relationship. He's like so clearly interested in like good and evil. And yeah. Like the power dynamic between the two. Yeah. And then so in the interview that I was listening to where he was introducing Killer Joe, he said this thing that really like cracked it open for me a little bit um, where I'm just going to do I'm just going to do a little quote. Are you ready for a quotation? Oh, my God. Quote on the show. Most of my films are claustrophobic and confined, even the ones that are shot outdoors. They're all about desperate people with very few alternatives. And they're all sort of locked up inside themselves for some reason. Yes. And that, I was just like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, they're so, and you can define that in so many different ways. But they are all these people who are, like, really trapped yeah. in some circumstance. Yeah. Either by their own making or outside outside of their own making. And it's such a, like, fascinating. It's, like, absolutely true. Yeah. Like, just a really interesting tension with, like, these people who are just absolutely trapped yep love it oh god wow yeah what else did you watch i mean you can just tell me really quick i know which is great because i have nothing to say about it i also watched the boys in the band because i was like well let me do the gay bookends yeah i was gonna (laughs) say like um which is a movie from 1970 it's one of his first movies and it's an adaptation from a play which this dude also loves plays He he for the last 20 years of his life he directed operas Whoa. He stopped directing movies and started directing operas. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Um, wild. <laughs> Go off, King. <laughs> but, yeah. 
the boys in the band is like it's a real feel bad movie. It's the oh, it's yeah. the it's the gay version of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, basically. Oh wow! Where like a group of uh, gay men in New York City in the late seventies all have a birthday party in like one of their apartment buildings. Um, and the beginning's really fun. Like they're all having a great time. Uh, and then as the night goes on, they get drunker and drunker. And like the the guy who's hosting it is clearly like really mean spirited and just like starts playing all these games with people and. and makes them start to like confess things and reveal these ways that they've hurt each other and themselves and it's just like it is it's really entertaining especially if you're a person who's into plays i'm not really into plays so it's like this is fine um but it was i mean it's really well made it's like fascinatingly acted and it was just like interesting to see another like william friedkin's other like gay movie (laughs) i was gonna say it's like very cool that he's interested in telling those stories especially at that time right totally yeah 1970 and it is the everyone who's in it is great um tragically basically the entire main cast passed away of aids in Mm. the 90s so it Mm. is like i mean it's just it's a fascinating document also of history yeah that's the boys in the band gosh dang um we gotta go but it's been a great time we could say so much more about Friedkin Um, thank you so much for being here with us tonight we will see you soon bye